The men are weeping in the gym, using the hand dryer to cover their sobs. Their hearts have grown too big for their chests. Their chests have grown too big for their shirts. They are dressed like kids who have forgotten their games kit. They are crying in the toilet. And because they have built themselves as statues, this must mean that God has entered them. They are wringing their faces like sweat towels in the sink. Their veins are about to burst their banks. They are flooding out of themselves onto the tiles. They have turned water into protein shakes. They have got too close to the mirrors. They have got too close to the glass. And now they are laying in the broken pools of their own faces, the lines of them. At the decline press, the bicep curl, waiting, staring straight ahead, swearing that the wetness on their cheeks is perspiration, that the words they mutter as they lift are meaningless, that they feel nothing when the muscle tears itself from itself, that they don't hear the thousands of tiny fracturings needed to build something stronger. Hello and welcome to Words That Burn, a podcast about poetry. Each week I read a poem, look at its inner workings and hopefully show you what makes it tick. This week's poem is The Men Are Weeping in the Gym by Andrew McMillan. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem somewhere so that you can read along. It makes interpretations just that little bit easier. This poem is certainly very different from many of the poems I've written about on this podcast before. It comes from Andrew McMillan's debut collection, Physical, which I think is one of the most visceral collections of poetry that I've read to date. It's filled with explorations of gender, masculinity, sexuality, and societal expectation. There are many, many strong and powerful poems in this collection. However, The Men Are Weeping in the Gym is one that stood out to me almost instantly. Growing up in Yorkshire in the 1990s, Macmillan learned that the repression of emotion and masculinity often go hand in hand in some parts of the world. As he grew older, he began to investigate why this has happened and how certain communities have been failed as a result. He grew up in a male-dominated culture that was hurting from a loss that Macmillan couldn't quite put his finger on until he was older. As his poetry has evolved, so too has his commentary on this issue. In one interview, Macmillan said on masculinity, But for young men, particularly young working class men, things are really bad. It's no one cause, but a confluence of things, such as a stigma around mental health for young men, an economic earthquake in the latter half of the 20th century that ripped away traditional manual jobs and didn't replace them with anything. So what you have is a generation of young men who feel they shouldn't talk about their emotions or hurt, who can't see themselves in the role their fathers or their grandfathers might have had, which was to exchange their strength for money in the workplace. And so they feel they don't have a place, or they feel they don't know how to be a man. And so that lack has been replaced by, in some cases, getting bigger and bigger at the gym, or getting a status dog. A loss of identity or position is being replaced by caricatures of masculinity because these young, disenfranchised lads don't see how else to assert the fact that they exist. 
the lack of role that he mentions in this interview is exactly what we see unfolding in this poem. A quick note before I begin, I've split the poem into three sections for easier analysis. It's clear that a crisis is taking place from the very first section. The men are weeping in the gym, using the hand dryer to cover their sobs. Their hearts have grown too big for their chests. Their chests have grown too big for their shirts. They are dressed like kids who have forgotten their games kit. They are crying in the toilet. And because they have built themselves as statues, this must mean that God has entered them. Those first three lines tell the reader everything they need to know about the shame that is being covered up in this room. Sobs, deep and laboured, drowned out by a noise these men hear every day. Macmillan writes of how their hearts have grown too big, a nice play on words, showing us that these men have developed their bodies to perfection, but also alluding to the fact that their emotions have become overwhelming as well. Everything seems overwhelming for these men. Even their clothes no longer fit. Macmillan turns this imagery of ill-fitting clothes into an infantilizing metaphor, saying they are dressed like kids. This behavior is absurd coming from such large men. It's strange to see these paragons of masculinity weeping like small children. He furthers the sadness by explaining that they dress as though they've forgotten their uniform and now have to find clothes from the lost and found. This struck me as a possible reference to the fact that those who reach gargantuan size in the gym often struggle to find clothes that fit well, and having little or no alternative, opt to wear loose-fitting gym clothes, cut-off vests, or oversized clothing. This often gives the curious appearance of making those that wear them seem small due to an oversized fit. In a tragic way, this often makes these men feel as though they're not big enough. Then, abruptly, gods and religion become the imagery of choice. Macmillan says that these men have built themselves like statues, beings of marble and stone carved to perfection. He says this must mean that God has entered them. To me, this is one of the most interesting lines in the whole poem. There is an almost pleading, desperate sense to the words, this must mean. These men are searching for worth self-esteem and confidence. Surely, the more they work out, the bigger they become, the more their worth will increase. Macmillan has chosen to use God as a measure of worth here. Firstly, because it suits the imagery of bodybuilding. But secondly, because it is a reference to the movement known as muscular Christianity. And yes, you heard that right. Muscular Christianity was a movement that rose out of Victorian England. It's centered around the notion of religious piety through physical exercise, discipline, and duty. In an essay by critic David Rosen, he examines the rise of the movement and its cause. In Britain, writers like Carlyle and Crabbe became preoccupied with the issue of what constituted masculinity, a re-examination prompted by the growing displacement of rural laborers to factories and non-agricultural occupations. For instance, Henry Mayhew found that tailors conceptualized their mistreatment as a loss of manliness and complained that in their jobs they could not be men. The connection between masculine potency and social and economic power seems to have been alive in the minds of many marginalized men. The reasons cited in his essay echo those of Macmillan himself in the interview I read at the beginning of this podcast. 
As a result of this movement, self-worth and value were intrinsically linked to physical fitness. And to fail in that aspect meant you were worthy of nothing. God and approval became one. The men in this gym can find no approval, and so God must be missing in action for them. Before moving on to the next section, I'd like to comment on the odd form this poem takes. There are long pauses between certain words and phrases in the same line. When read aloud, these pauses mimic the deep and swallowing breaths in between sobs that Macmillan is writing about, and really situates the reader in the setting of the poem. From there, the imagery shifts from stone and marble to its exact opposite. They are wringing their faces like sweat towels in the sink. Their veins are about to burst their banks. They are flooding out of themselves onto the tiles. They have turned water into protein shakes. They have got too close to the mirrors. They have got too close to the glass. And now they are laying in the broken pools of their own faces. The lines of them. Again, the physical anguish of these men is shown in their tortured faces. The sheer effort of this woe is apparent in the reference to sweat towels. Then, their torrent of emotion is transformed into a literal river raging within them. Veins about to burst their banks, flooding out of themselves. Identity and purpose flowing onto the tiles. They are no longer hard and solid, but rather pure liquid. They dissolve like the powder in their shakes, left ruined on the locker room floor. There are a few lines here that allude to body dysmorphia. They have got too close to the mirrors. They have got too close to the glass. And now they are laying in the broken pools of their own faces. The lines of them. Here, mirrors and reflections are the enemy. The more they look, the less they like. Time spent reflecting only causes anguish. The term Adonis complex was coined in 2002 and is used to refer to the body dysmorphia that began to plague male bodybuilders from the mid-80s onwards. It showed that self-worth was intrinsically linked to physical perfection in the gym. No matter how big certain men got, they could never see it in the mirror. Now they are laying in the broken pools of their own faces is a powerful image. These men are crying on full display in front of themselves. The lines he speaks of are their furrowed brows, their crinkled eyes, and sobbing mouths. The language of destruction is used to further a sense of aggression and sheer anger. These men, like the mirrors, are broken. They have reached their lowest point now in the locker room. It's interesting that Macmillan has chosen the word they over and over and over. He wants it understood that this is not an isolated incident, not some lone depression, but an issue that is affecting whole communities, whole groups of men. The language of destruction takes full hold as the poem moves into its final section. At the decline press, the bicep curl, waiting, staring straight ahead, swearing that the wetness on their cheeks is perspiration, that the words they mutter as they lift are meaningless, that they feel nothing when the muscle tears itself from itself, that they don't hear the thousands of tiny fracturings needed to build something stronger. In a way, it's less destruction and more punishment. This is a ritual the men attempt to empty themselves, constantly staring forward. They are in full denial, 
masking their tears with hard work and sweat. The words they mutter are not pleasant words of affirmation. Macmillan seems to be describing a ritual act. These meaningless incantations are filled with hate, not towards any external individual, but rather the men themselves. It's been noted many times that gym culture has bred this kind of self-punishment. A need to feel pain in each and every day has become synonymous with fitness and earning your body. The language around fitness has become increasingly combative, with phrases like no pain, no gain, crush your workout, slay your goals. Critic Barbara Ehrenreich has noted that this became the benchmark for a good workout, and to not suffer enough is somehow seen as a failure. So faced with this constant failure, the men push on, seeing their body as something to be moulded by pain. Surely seeing your body as nothing more than shapeable matter would have negative psychological consequences. There must be some kind of disconnect occurring. This is precisely why these men are suffering. They are forced constantly to focus on the external. This is precisely why these men are suffering. They are forced to constantly focus on the external. Society has thought them, as one critic said, that they are simply minds who happen to occupy bodies. Bodies which have been colonized by society to the extent that they can increasingly be reconstructed in line with the mind's eye view of what they should look like. But this is simply not the case. We cannot always align our body to what we would like it to be. And this forced division of mind and body, servant and master, is tearing these bodybuilders apart, much like the muscles tear itself from itself. Too much focus on the exterior has left them empty. Denial is compounded in these last few beats. They don't feel. They don't hear. We are left with the image of a thousand tiny fractures, a statue on its plinth, wearing away on the inside, unnoticed, until one day it's too late. So why this poem? Firstly, it is incredibly vivid, at least to me. We feel the pain of these nameless men. The reader is completely aware of every shred of effort and exhaustion these men have put into their lives. Masculinity, and more importantly, toxic masculinity, are issues that are rarely talked about among men. Macmillan has always tackled the role that trauma and expectation has played in how men perceive themselves, often, as in the case of this poem, to devastating effect. So, what is your reading of this poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation and very up for debate. If you'd like to talk to me about it, or if you have a poem you'd like me to read on this podcast, you can get in touch in loads of places. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at wordsthatburnpodcast, where I upload helpful study guides and bonus material for all the poets featured on this podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at wordsthatburnpodcast.com. I would like to give a massive thank you to Hannah, who sent in the collection physical to me. I have enjoyed reading every single line of it, and it is truly appreciated. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music for this week's episode was provided by Sergei Cheriminizov and is used under Creative Commons license. As always, I really appreciate you spending time with me, and hopefully you'll hear from me again soon.